And now, deep thoughts. This is the 50th episode of Deep Thoughts. Welcome all you deep thinkers for the least deep episode, perhaps, of all 50, but it is something of a celebration. We are five zero episodes deep, and so we're going to do some special things with this episode, including having some very special guests. This first guest is someone who wasn't really a guest When we started the podcast, she was a co-host, but then quickly decided she didn't want to be a part of it anymore. But she's back for the 50th episode. Hello, Emily Shantz. Hello. And just to clarify that, I was never a co-host. I did a segment segment and I found you very challenging to work with. So Why is is that? Um, Because you're type A, you have... OCD and you micromanage me, so okay, that like that's what you say, but the, <laughs> I've given this a lot of thought, and it's like I ask you to like face the microphone when you talk because that's how podcasts get recorded. Well, you're not in charge, and you of find me. that yeah, so, so it didn't really work, and yeah, it was fun in the beginning, but then. Um, it was fun for a little bit, but I just, you know, I'm a busy girl. Couldn't fit it it's in true. anymore. Yeah, uh, that's, I respect that. And uh, if you hear a rumbling in the room during this whole recording, it's because it's one of those 40-degree days, and so we've got a little air conditioning unit in our room uh, trying to keep us cool. So sorry for the audio quality there. But to reflect back, this is 50 episodes deep. Mm-hmm. Um, does a certain episode stand out to you as a favorite yeah, I mean, I obviously haven't listened to them all. Um, Obvi- obviously. Obvious, that goes without saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I? Um, wow, that's a but, great, <laughs> great plug for the show. But um, no, the Warnut, and you'll have to remind me of his name. I, I can't remember it, but it was so wonderful, and I sent it. AJ Swoboda. The, about um, deep After Doubt, yeah. After Doubt, yeah. So it was... I appreciated that so much. I hadn't heard, um, you know, deconstruction um, spoken about in such a succinct way, I don't mm-hmm. think. But then again, I don't listen to these kinds of podcasts, so maybe I would. But he, um, I really appreciated it and sent it to um, some friends as well because he, the way he talked about, you know, people doubting their faith which we all do mm-hmm. or components of it at different times um in a way that wasn't based in fear was so helpful because i think um at least you know my experience and what i've seen is that we have knee-jerk reactions when people ask questions and we go right to you know fear and mm. instead of the thought that it actually may make their faith deeper. He did also define, you know, there is the underbelly to that, which, you know, can go totally rogue, Mm -hmm. but um, which is what the narrative is most of the time, right? It's just this fear base, like, oh, no, they're asking questions. Oh, no, they're exploring this. Um, But 
he really brought it back down to like that's okay that's part of the journey that's part of faith mm. um and so i thought that that was yeah it was it was definitely a favorite um yeah yeah that was my favorite one that i listened to so this is where you say what was your favorite Matt. Oh, right. Okay. I didn't know what... Well, hey, Matt, what was your favorite? Oh, that's thoughtful. Um, I probably, for me, this is a lame answer, but like it's the it, whatever the last episode or last interview that I did. Um, because I like, you know, I get to choose who I talk to and the topics, which is uh, mm -hmm. the perk, really the big perk. And so it's something that I'm excited about, somebody I'm excited to talk to. So I just, just, just this last week, recorded an episode with Rich Velotis, who's a pastor in Queens, New York, and wrote a great book. And it's just like fascinating conversation. So I'm super excited about that. But every time I've just, I've walked away being like, oh, I was the best one. Yeah, it's so good. So that's really fun. Um, apart from uh, favorite episodes, um, I have a favorite moment, I think, of the entire podcast. And it's, I think a lot of people really loved it. I think it was episode one during your segment. You just wanted to share um, about, about phrases in the church. Oh, yes, yes. Um, what was the one? I think it was, uh, yes. was, it about, was it journey language or yeah. coming alongside? Alongside, yeah. So it's been a long time. It's been almost it's probably been like two years since that oh maybe episode a year and a half oh. so do you have any other oh my goodness do you have a new coming alongside that's a pet peeve in the oh. christian subculture well i don't it i don't have just one it's sort of the whole um language oh no problemo um doing life together doing life on life together, we life may have life, we yeah. may have that talked about sound that. Even no, it doesn't actually. Um, yeah, journey language. Like I get what it means. Oh, seasons. <laughs> That's the one. And I'm gonna feel like I've probably used that because it makes have you sense. Used it in this season, or no, not in this season. Not in this season. It makes sense, and I get, I totally get it. Just like I get alongside, but stop doing it. <laughs> like honest, when you think about a Sunday morning conversation with somebody, if you actually let's play a game, okay. and then everybody can have a number. It's like or a church, even it's like a church drinking game. Yeah, but instead of different, we'll have to think of a fun prize like a for people. Potluck. A scoop of potluck instead um, of a drink. Yeah, so just even throw You don't like brother. I don't like brother. I think it's weird. Well, it's just familial like, okay, church is, language. Yes, that's who we are. That's fine. I don't, I, so. Sister. So. Sister wife. Stop. So now you're getting me distracted. I was really getting revved oh, up about so. <laughs> seasons. So I want everybody throughout your week to count how many times. Okay. You know, or at least on a Sunday morning, how many times when you're talking to someone season, it's, oh, it's been a rough season. Okay, like, what do you mean? Like, uh, the year, the month? Is, it, is that, a, is that a, a quarter? Is that a three-month quarter, like a real season? Right. Or is, is it, it, are we in, a, in just a really long season right now? We're in a long season of journeying together. So anyways, the, um, yeah, so that's one for sure. And then you just jogged um, my memory of, that I don't like familial language either. Why not? Um, so it, I get it again. I get. 
It is a family in the context of there's some wackadoodles. Well, that's a normal. Fa- that's what normal families. Yeah, I just have don't. As well. I just don't. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't know why. This is a. Me, these are me issues. Okay, everybody. They're more me issues than <laughs> critiques of something that's legit. Anyways, so moving on, my brother. Uh, that's that's weird. No, okay, that's, no, that's, go next. What um. Else? Well, anyways, that's my favorite. That's my favorite yeah. moment, and I think we may have just outdone it and created another really great moment. So that's really yeah, good. That's cool. Um, over to you. Okay. So. What should we call this segment here? I don't know. It doesn't need a name. Seasons of. Seasons of life. Andy put some, put some fun little game show music, together right now for seasons, seasons of, of life. life. Seasons of life journeying. <laughs> so, um, so my favorite episode we talked about. So I uh, got some um, getting to know you questions for the people. Right. For the family. I don't know what these are, but. Well, I could. Uh, we'll see where it goes. I didn't really know. I don't. You okay. didn't want to put much prep into it. No, certainly not. No, certainly no. not. I, mean, I don't have time for this. It's not this. like you listen to it. So no, why? why? Who cares? Yeah. Okay, so um, I'll start with what's your pet peeve or pet peeves just in general? Um, it doesn't. Not I feel about, like you're trapping me because. No, I don't want it. It doesn't have to be about me. In fact, it. Well, probably, most of them are. That's okay, the, so that's just go thing. ahead. Just answer. So. Um, it's a normal practice that Emily will go up to bed and just kind of hang out upstairs and then she'll text me to bring her stuff, bring you, bring you stuff. Yeah. Um. You don't mind doing that. And I don't mind doing that. But there are points where sometimes I'm like, this is the last trip. Is there anything else that you need? (laughs) And then like 15 minutes. So a a pet peeve is like 15 minutes later. Ooh, just this one more thing. And it's like, oh. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, anything else just for that doesn't involve me? Um, unnecessarily long meetings. Oh, yeah, that's a problem in the world for sure. It is. There's an efficiency. I'm an I'm a person of efficiency, to a fault probably. But, yes, uh, to a fault. If there's a hyper relational person, and then I'm like a hyper efficiency person, and they really want to, you know, that's that. I find that to be challenging. There's a tipping point for me where. I yes. start to get mad and sarcastic. Yeah. Well, I, that's also, I know this is your part, but that's also a pet peeve of mine. And I heard someone say this somewhere, probably, um, probably on TikTok or a stranger or, you know, a show I watch, but that the funny part about being, becoming an adult is you just realize how inefficient everything is. <laughs> totally. Like, oh, wow, that looked like it was like really you know, well put together. I thought but these then- professionals knew what they were doing, but now I understand. <laughs> yeah, we have totally. no clue. Okay, so um, meetings. Um, what's um, your most embarrassing, um, we'll say childhood moment, childhood use? Oh, I, I just have- I just did this in this like hot wing thing we did at church. Oh, uh, did you church. talk about it? For the Youth Sunday, I did a hot wing challenge and they asked me this. So I, I actually, I'll, I'll, I'll share a different one. So that was the voice cracking. Oh. Um, I, my voice cracked into a microphone at, in high school. And uh, I was in grade nine. And 
that was very challenging. Um, I'll say a young adult one, really embarrassing. It wasn't really appropriate for. Um, you just gonna check your texts while, Sorry. while we. Well, I don't. I know this. Can keep going. So I'll share the like young adult when I was went yes. for a run. Yes. So because it wasn't really appropriate for <gasps> church Sunday or whatever. Oh my gosh! I wasn't even expecting. I had okay. a different one in mind. This one. Yeah, there's so many, but I, so the, the, the one I, so I had a buddy named Mike, uh, and he, he was a very much a bachelor. So I went over to his house for dinner and he served me a pork chop and orange juice. That's what we had for dinner. And then I was meeting this girl that I was kind of interested in. I didn't really know, but kind of interested in her. And she was like into running. And I was like, a lot of bravado was like, oh yeah, I can run too. And I don't know. I don't know. I can run faster than you probably, you know, some just stupid. stupid. So anyways, we decided to go for a run together. So I go to her house and as I knock on her door, I can feel like rumbling in my stomach. And like, we didn't know each other that well. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I can't like just come inside and use the washroom. I'm like, hopefully it'll go away. We start running and we're like five minutes in and I'm, I'm dying. And I'm like, can we walk? And so, so you don't poop your pants. So I don't, poop my pants and uh and so I just looked like an idiot obviously and I didn't really want to talk about what was going on I was very embarrassed and so she just assumed I couldn't run for more than five minutes and then we started running again and then I saw like an like a outhouse what are those Johnny what oh, are those things called like a porta potty porta potty and I was like I don't really want to use that with her like standing right outside because I this pork chop orange juice combo is lethal so I, we, were, we ended up running and like going off. I like led in a direction towards a friend's house and I walked, just went inside the house and she, and I was like, um, and I, I remember, I remember like going, I got to go to the washroom and she, and, and she had a kind of a look of disgust and she's like, I'll wait out here. Oh my and then God. I came back out 10 minutes later or so oh my and um, my friend's little brother was showing up with his friends and I was like coming out of the house from using their washroom and it was uh, very embarrassing. And that was the last time uh, I just walked away from any potential that might have been. Sure, there. yeah. And I, that was, and you know what? That was the Lord's providence, Emily. Oh my gosh. You know what? I've heard this story many times, of course, and it never ceases to make me both be totally repulsed and laugh very hard. It's so funny. And we should mention too, um, the the girl that you were interested in is we know her, right? So I've seen her a couple times and we've we've reminisced yeah. on this um yeah. this uh diarrhea Yes. Court, <laughs> courtship, if you will. Yeah, for a brief minute. <laughs> okay, okay. Did you so, think I was going to tell the peeing my pants in yes, grade two? Yeah, yeah. we'll so save that for theme. another time. There's a theme yeah. there. So, okay. Uh, Gray sweatpants. I know. I slowly think... getting darker. Yeah, okay. Um, what is your favorite meal? Ooh, that's tough. Honestly, I think it. I think because it has to do with a context. Actually, actually has to do with the season, Emily. Uh, the the yeah. season being literally summer. <laughs> uh, my favorite is for my birthday, August six. I I ask you usually to make homemade burgers. Yeah. And then we have corn on the cob. Yes. And it's just the best. That's yeah, probably that's what I the one. You'd yeah. Say. Yeah. Um, okay, and then. Um, the last, the last book you've read. 
Um, like not for learning. Like just a book that you're like, oh, I love this story. I'm just gonna read it. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, I only read so like funny. theology books. So funny. When's when? What's the last theology book you've read? I'm not a pastor. We're the opposite. You read. I'm not a you pastor. read great novels, and I read dense theology. Yeah, and highlight it like that. Well, that's how it's for memory. Yeah. It's for okay. retention. Yeah. Um. So I think that's all I've got for getting to know you. And this has been seasons. What is it? Seasons in our lives. Should I set up the goatee call? Yeah. Who's Godi? So, um, Godi is my mom, Liz. The boys, that's her name that her all the grand... Her yes. self-given grandmother name. Yeah, so she's Godi, um, or Goats. It started as Nanny Goats, and now it's Now it's Godi. Godi and so, Grumpy. Godi and Grumpy. So, she is... Um, my mother, um, we can call her Liz or Lizzie if we want, um, and she is a very funny bird. I think you'll see where I get some of my sense of humor, and she's been listening to the podcast. I don't know if she's listened to them all, but she's been listening. I'll find out. You'll find out, um, and you know, she's not necessarily a part, well, she's not a part of church culture but has lived in Abbotsford uh, for the last 40 years, so... Lethal combo there. Uh, yeah, so you feel me? She understands, obviously. Um, She's, she'll have the some work, good insights. She'll have good insights, for sure. We'll and she already has... She, they'll be good. She's already um, shared a few with me as she listens. Um, she hasn't really shared them with me. So here's the plan. Um, my, my next uh, special guest for the 50th episode... I'm going to call Nanny Goat, Lizzie, and uh, yeah, I'm going to give her a call and I'm just going to ask her her perspective on the Deep Thoughts podcast. And if she has any theories, because a classic line, right. a classic line of hers throughout life is... Your childhood. Yeah, and so I've got a theory. So she'll have some theories to share, no doubt. I'll try and get a theory out of her. Um, what else about her? So she's a retired, she taught kindergarten in Abbotsford for years and years and years. Um, and then she was a vice principal and then a principal out in Surrey. Um, she, yeah, she's retired now. She it loves to garden. She has a little flower stand um, or had one at the end of her driveway. Uh, she loves to bake. She loves to host. She throws a great themed party that's true um yeah she's a pretty classes yeah she's yeah she's a pretty special little bird so it'll be interesting to have have her on so we're planning to call this segment lizzie's two cents (laughs) hope you enjoy (laughs) thanks for coming on emily yeah no problem you owe me money you pay me for this 50 50. <laughs> I make 50, <laughs> she spends 50. Oh All right, bye bye.
Well, Cody, I wanted I wanted to give you a call, and uh, I know you've been listening to Deep Thoughts, and I just thought I would get your thoughts on the podcast because we're celebrating our fiftieth episode, doing some special things. So, um, my first wow. question to you is: Have you listened to all forty nine episodes? <laughs> oh man, okay. No, short answer. But here's what I do. I um, I listened to all of the beginning ones because Emily had her final thought. Yes, and um, and yeah, well, it was yeah, but yeah, a little loyalty there. But I'm loyal to you too, Matthew too. And so, but um, I listened, and then I um, I listened to many of them over over half of them. That's good. I've listened to yeah, more and than, that's more I've than Emily's d- listened to, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, and to be honest, some um, uh, I I listen, and then I go, ah, yeah, no, okay, too much jargon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, but um, but what I have noticed from the beginning to now is how much um, better they are getting. Like I, I've just. Yeah, like so, and I have my favorite that I hope I hope I can mention a couple of my you know my my top picks. That's my very so next people, question. Yeah. Oh, it's, <laughs> I like the porn guy. Now, what's what? <laughs> yeah, Dave David? Curry. Yeah, that's right. Dave. Yeah, that was Dave. Good. yeah. Well, okay, but, but just a second here. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. So Dave, well, he's a fast talker. So he's yes. he's he makes a comment. Uh, early on, about uh, women in their prime, in their twenties, <laughs> I think twenty-five, and he and even he tried to lure you in. Hey, let's face it, Matt. He said, "So <laughs> I'm I'm listening to him while I'm sewing up here, and I said, whoa, 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 buddy, 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 buddy.' So uh, <laughs> <laughs> Emily I'm said guessing, the same thing to me. Yeah, yeah." <laughs> You, you, you. I want to say, aside from, you know, maybe Richard Gere, kiddo, your days are numbered too. Like, I don't know how old he was, but, <laughs> or he is, but, <laughs> but, but to save him, I'm glad I, I learned so much. So this Dave knows his stuff, yeah. like for everyone, every parent should hear this. Yeah. And, uh, and, and what I liked about, about, the information he shared, it was based on science yeah. and brain research yeah. and um, statistics. Like it was like a, whoa, nine-year-olds have already yeah. already seen porn. Yep. Like, yeah. Parents, yeah, every, everybody needs to, to hear that information. So um, I really enjoyed, um, enjoyed his. The porn guy, yeah. The porn guy. <laughs> <laughs> And I, um, Rachel, she's a recent one, mm-hmm. um, on, um, same sex relationships. And, uh, uh, to be, to be honest, uh, I, I wasn't real clear. So when I was out at your place, cause you put, you've got a nice stack of books in your living room. Mm-hmm. And when I was watching the boys, I thought, Hmm, this, this looks interesting. And so I was kind of, uh, flipping through and and so it wasn't really clear to me but you know in a quick flip through so I was I was really looking forward to that's called, uh, that's called snooping 
Yeah. <laughs> 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 I even asked Emily, and he came home, I said, so, have you read this book? And she's like, what? <laughs> what yeah, book? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm snooping as I'm hiding little trinkets. Every That's time, right. So. Yes. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I'm hoping, I'm hoping. Actually, um, stop just for a second. Did you, did you leave a pen that's a level and a, a measuring stick and works on an iPad? Did you leave that pen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We were like, where did this come from? It was less yeah. trinkety than some of the other things you've been hiding around our house, like like, like a little <laughs> porcelain bunny or something. But anyway, it's so funny. Well, um, yeah. So people know you. we're moving. We're moving. And yeah. when I asked, I asked you guys if there's anything you'd like. Emily gave me as we downsized. Emily gave me a hard no. Uh, didn't want any of our old junk, and so I've taken <laughs> it upon myself to hide a little trinket every time I'm there. And, um, yeah, I think Walker we did want a... the wicker. We did want the wicker love seat. I think. Oh. <laughs> so. Okay. The only thing we really want it hasn't shown up yet, but, but that, you know what? That's okay. Okay, so back to Rachel. Like it's so Rachel. So I'm hoping for Rachel. I just sense Rachel is has another book in her. I I don't know. Mm. I'm just hoping that maybe five years from now you might do a touch base. Where are you now, Rachel? And mm and hear what she has to say in her journey. Yeah. Um, I was surprised that, that uh, but it was good to hear at the very end, I think, of her interview. She she clarified, this is me and my journey. This mm. is not, right? That was, uh, yeah. that was nice to hear. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for uh, letting me give you a call and uh, being willing to come on. I'm calling every single listener, just checking in to see how they like the first <laughs> Thank you, Gody. Okay. Well, hey, I hope you enjoyed Lizzie's two cents. Um, you know, I feel like she kind of held back a little bit to be nice, um, which I both appreciate. And... Uh, for capturing purposes, a little disappointed about because everybody needs to experience Goaty unfiltered at some point in their lives. Uh, but there was some super great stuff there. So thank you, Mama Liz, for being more committed to the podcast than your daughter. And uh, who knows, maybe on the 100th episode, we'll, we'll give you uh, another call and make this a recurring segment. So to conclude this special half century mark episode, I'm going to respond to some actual listener-submitted questions. And they kind of go all over the place. And there's some really deep questions. So you've come to the right place. <laughs> and we're going to start with a pretty heavy-hitting one. This is a real question that was submitted. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Uh, first of all, great question. Uh, secondly, no. No, no one has ever said, hey, let's grab a sandwich and meant let's get a hot dog. Um, nobody's gone to a baseball game and said, hey, let's grab a hot dog and come back with a ham and Swiss sandwich, right? So here's my other bit of logic. A burger is a burger. That's its own thing. A hot dog is a hot dog. It's its own thing. And a sandwich, well, a very broad category does not include burger or hot dog. That's the definitive answer. And while we're at it, no, cereal is not a soup. And no, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. 
It just takes place over the holidays. Those are two very different things. All right. Great question, though. Thanks for asking. Second, here's another question submitted by a listener. CBD oils without THC? Question mark. It's legalized, but for Christians? Okay. Here's the thing. There's some stigma around marijuana, and I think we just kind of need to kind of dig down a little bit, figure out what's going on. First of all, in a very direct way, direct response to that question, here's the thing. CBD can be extracted from a cannabis plant, but it doesn't have the same ability to give you a high as marijuana or THC specifically that's found in marijuana. Okay, so CBD may help you uh, feel relaxed or less anxious. Uh, it has some uses like that, but you you won't get high if you choose to use a CBD infused oil or edible or whatever. So simple answer, I think that's completely fine. It, it, it fits the category of other pharmaceuticals and even things like essential oils that, that are natural, don't alter your state of mind, but, but can help with anxiety and other things. And that's great. Um, a little more controversial in Christian circles, I think, are, are instances where THC or, or smoking weed is, is, is appropriate as well. Okay, so hear me out. I, I know of cancer patients and, and individuals with brain injuries or extreme anxiety and other similar circumstances, and a mild dose of marijuana provides relief in some of these cases, as other prescriptions do prescription drugs do, and in some cases does a better job than than uh, than other drugs do. And so in this regard, it performs a medicinal function. And because it's a plant, because it's, it's natural, there are circumstances when it's a better option than some of the harsher chemicals that get pumped into patients' bodies that we don't think twice about. And so it's just that there's a stigma about it um, in Christian circles um, and I'm talking here now about just taking it medicinally. I think there's a place for it. I'll give you an example. When my, my son Walker broke his leg, I was really stressed out, so I smoked weed. No, <laughs> that's not where the story is going. Uh, my, my son Walker broke his leg. They sedated him, and then they told us that, that he would be pretty loopy when he woke up, which was 100% the case. It had this inebriating or stoning effect on him for a little while. Um, and in the context of medical treatment, there are a number of drugs that have mind-altering effects. Is there a place for that? Yes, I think there is. And so my point here so far is just to differentiate between recreational and medicinal purposes. And I think that that differentiation can be made. And I don't think a hard and fast law opposing marijuana in the church because there's a stigma about it is nuanced enough. At the same time, it also goes without saying that like many prescription drugs, it can be abused. Right? So while alcohol and marijuana are different substances with different, uh, have different effects on you, one gets you drunk, one gets you high, that kind of stuff. The Bible speaks directly about alcohol and the categories are similar. Um, now, because it usually takes multiple drinks for someone to get drunk, I mean, it differs depending on the individual and the percentage of alcohol consumed and stuff. There, There is some Christian freedom in regards to alcohol. While some individuals choose to enjoy a drink or two, others stay clear of alcohol altogether, either because of their uh, proclivity towards abusing it or alcoholism in their own history or their family history, or, or simply because they don't want to mess with something that could go sideways for them or others. 
Um, and so whatever the varied practices regarding alcohol, all can agree that the scriptures are clear that we should not get drunk and be given to drunkenness. Luke 21, Romans 13, Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, goes on and on and on. I'll read to you from 1 Peter 4. It says this, the apostle Peter writes, for the time that is past suffices for doing what unbelievers want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So throughout the New Testament, I just gave you one example of it. We are exhorted to be sober-minded. Why? Because God is the fun police? No, The answer is, so we are ready and watchful and living as witnesses for Christ in the world. And so, while alcohol and pot are legal, our higher allegiance is to Jesus. To be Christians means literally to be little Christs, living fully alive to his reality and for his glory, who witness to him with our lives and find him to be our all-satisfying treasure. So, Just to summarize a little bit of, I think we need to have Christian wisdom around this. Some medicinal circumstances totally make sense um, without, of course, abusing it. Uh, CBD doesn't give you a high. It's no different than any other plant-based therapeutics that help with health. Weed in general, I just say this, the Christian life involves forsaking one lifestyle to embrace another. It's a call to awakening, not numbing to enlivened senses, not altered senses, to vibrancy, not escapism, to the reality of Jesus, not reality distorting substances. And so that's sort of the New Testament call there. And so we should tread wisely with those, but not set up legalistic laws about you can never. Um, I know people who are wonderful followers of Jesus and uh, marijuana is useful to them either in their terminal illness or um, in their somewhat debilitating anxiety. It's been found to be a help. And I say, praise God. That's that's the work of medicine in people's lives. Okay, moving on. Next question. Uh, would you counsel a couple in an unhealthy relationship to stay married? Wow, this is a, a huge question. Um, and not an easy one to really... Uh, respond to in a setting like this. Um, every marriage is different, uh, has unique dynamics at play. And, 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 and those details are important because they would in, inform uh, any specific answer. So, so all I can do here is share a few kind of general biblical principles here about marriage and divorce that, that may help specific contexts. Okay. Um, now, because the question is asked specifically about an unhealthy relationship, Uh, The first thing that that should be said is that individual's safety is the top priority. I I would never advocate for someone staying in an abusive home that is unsafe. Uh, I think specifically of women and their children. Never. I would never advocate for that. Well, the Bible says we shouldn't get divorced, so you can't leave. That's that's toxic. Uh, There are abusive situations where, where separation is the wisest most loving and godliest thing to do. And so just generally speaking, when a couple goes through marital strife, separation, or, or are in the process of divorce, whenever I come into those kinds of situations, my goal is to help provide rounded care to both spouses that includes support, listening, and godly 
counsel. And the, the aim, the big aim, is to minister to the couple with the goal of the marriage being restored. Even above that is just each one of them, um, ha- uh, their faith really coming alive and kind of confronting the situation that they're in. Because uh, Jesus can do amazing things in those situations. And so um, that doesn't mean they, they, that, that they always have to stick it out under the same roof through everything. These are There's unique dynamics where that's not the wisest thing. But why is that the goal? Why is that the goal that, that, that we aim for marriages being restored? Well, God made marriage. And it even says in the Bible that God hates divorce. Now, why is that? Well, marriage is meant to be a picture of God's covenant with his people. Um, And since that's the case, we aren't to treat marriage cavalierly and give up on marriage flippantly uh, because it cost God everything to love us and keep his covenant with us. In in Matthew 19, we read about um, Jesus being asked by a group of Pharisees if it's lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And um, this was a really hot-button discussion at the time. It it was asked that way, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Because at that time, women weren't able to divorce their husbands in that ancient society. Only men were. And there was this big debate at the time between the Pharisaical parties. Certain rabbis who trained disciples landed in different places on what it, on this huge debate. The school of Shammai says a man may not divorce his wife unless he f- found unchastity in her. Okay, so some of the Pharisees were trained by a rabbi who said, um, there are no circumstances except for adultery that you can divorce your wife. Meanwhile, the school of Hillel says... He may divorce his wife, even if she spoiled a dish for him, even if she burnt supper. Rabbi Akiba said at the time, he may divorce her, even if he found another fairer than she. So this was the debate at the time, right? There's different camps at the time, if you will, right? So um, one rabbi is teaching that there are no circumstances except for divorce. Another rabbi is teaching, well, even if she burns your supper, you can divorce her. And a third is like, if you find someone better, you can divorce her. And so this is the circumstance that Jesus is asked the question. And it's really important to see what Jesus says about it. So Matthew chapter 19, this is how Jesus responds in verse 4. He says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made the male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. He goes on to say, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, the Pharisees say back to Jesus, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of your heart, of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So, That's Jesus' response. A couple things to say. There's the ideal, right? Remain committed in marriage because God ordained it and it's a picture of his covenant love. And God's intent was that our marriages would be lifelong. 
And yet Jesus is acknowledging we live in a fallen world where sin affects everything it touches. So when two sinners get married, they're going to have challenges, and these challenges affect marriages to different degrees. So then Jesus gives an exception for divorce on the grounds of sexual immorality. Divorce isn't the ideal, but isn't prohibited in the circumstances of adultery. And even in the case of adultery, all reasonable effort to achieve forgiveness and reconciliation should be made. Why? Because we wronged and rejected Jesus, and in grace, he died for us and forgave us. Jesus says that if you divorce your spouse for unjustifiable reasons when you marry again, that marriage is essentially adultery. So, so we should have a high view of marriage clarity about God's ideal for marriage and recognize that sin can really mess up our marriages. And so wisdom is needed to figure out how to navigate specific unhealthy relationships. The Apostle Paul writes more um, in 1 Corinthians 7, um, and in this instance is talking about a believer and an unbeliever in a marriage. It says in verse 10, to be to the married, I give this charge. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say that if any brother has a wife, that's a brother is a believer, fellow believer, has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. But if the unbelieving partner says, partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister, the fellow believer, is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Whether continuing to be married to your unbelieving spouse will actually lead them to salvation? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So a couple more important layers to add here that the Apostle Paul talks about. The context here is an unbelieving couple And then one of them comes to faith in Jesus. These are first century Christians, first generation Christians um, in, in the church in Corinth that the Apostle Paul is writing to. And so some received the gospel and responded in faith and others did not, even in the midst of marriages. And so Paul is saying that it's not the believing spouse that can initiate leaving an unbelieving spouse. But if the unbelieving spouse is like, what? I'm out of here. I'm not staying married to someone who will live by the way of Jesus. That is what Paul is acquiescing to. He's like, let it be so. So, so I've actually sat with individuals who, who claim they, 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 they try this one. They say, I don't think my spouse is a believer. Therefore, um, it's a believer and an unbeliever, and I don't have to be married to an unbeliever. Therefore, I'm getting a divorce, and it's biblical. Um, the challenge with that, I think that goes back to the hardness of heart that Jesus was talking about and the, 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 the reason um, that Moses accommodated it in the first place, right? It, it's actually the unbelieving spouse um, who would initiate that. Who knows? The Lord might want to use you to lead your spouse to salvation. And so the Bible also makes it clear that if, if you've been at fault in a divorce as a Christian, right, committing adultery or divorcing for, for unbiblical grounds, not sufficient reasons, you shouldn't marry again. Um, but if you have been the victim of adultery or your spouse leaves you, or if your spouse dies, you may marry again. And so, so there's the framework and very unorganized trying to respond to this question that I don't know details about. Um, but sitting with a specific couple or individual in a marriage and discerning the nuances of what's going on is, is, is totally, obviously, 
necessary to determine where to go from there. Ultimately, the goal is to try and help each individual get healthy and whole and in a good place in their walk with Jesus. And then anything is possible in reconciling a marriage. Um, the last thing I'd say about this is I just empathize. I, I empathize so much with couples uh, going through hard times. I empathize with those whose marriages have broken down. Um, and just a reminder, no one is beyond grace. What does grace mean? It's unmerited favor. It's not something we deserve. It's something we get out of the kindness of God, right? Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. And, and so know that there's grace for you in Jesus, that, that he can heal you, and that even deeply troubled marriages can be reconciled and restored in time. And there are certainly wise ways of getting to that place over a period of time. And again, those are the details and nuances of it all. But let's move on. Another question. We we lost a friend. This this uh, this uh, listener's um, submission says, we lost a friend la- last August from an accident and he left a wife and three little kids behind. And his wife, my friend, the writer is saying, uh, was sharing with me the other day that she has felt through the last number of months that the local church doesn't know what to do with grief. And ironically, she's felt the most insensitive and stupid comments have actually been from fellow Christians. She writes, grief is uncomfortable, awkward, profoundly complicated, and so heartbreaking. So this question is about grief, biblical, gospel cloaked, nitty gritty, messy, and God honoring grief. Uh, It's a great question. Um, It's a heart-wrenching scenario. I'm super thankful for the question, and I'm super sad that on top of the extreme loss this woman has experienced, she's had to deal with insensitive comments from from Christians. Uh, you know, th- so much could be said here, um, but I'm in these kinds of circumstances, I think very little should actually be said. Um, here's my my take on on why Christians uh, can sometimes be the most insensitive when it comes to those who are grieving. Um, I think we're insensitive to the grieving when we trivialize grief. And and we're, we're, I think Christians are trying to be, trying to say things that are true, but they just don't hit well. They don't land well uh, at the wrong time, right? So comments like you'll see him again, or he's in a better place, or God is sovereign, or quoting Romans 8, God works everything for the good of those who love him. Like, yes, all of those are true, but but when someone's lost a spouse and uh, and they feel like a part of them has died, um, grief is the right response. Meeting people in their grief and, and letting people grieve is right. Uh, grief can be uncomfortable. And so when we don't know what to do or to say, we often blurt out generic sympathies. Um, but I would just suggest taking a different approach of, of not saying a lot, uh, but just your presence, your availability, your, your following of their cues of what they want to do and talk about. Um, and so instead of taking the, well, all things work together for good approach, I, I just think tear-filled eyes saying, I'm so, so sorry, is the more biblical way. Um, Paul says in Romans 12 that we should weep with those who weep. We should grieve with those who grieve. Well, where does he get that idea? Well, he gets that from Jesus, who, who met people in their grief and sat in it with them 
Right. An example of this in the Gospels is, is Jesus was going to heal his friend Lazarus, who had died. And yet before he does, he sees people who love Lazarus so much and are grieving and are weeping, and Jesus joins them in their grief. So yes, as Christians, we believe that heaven is real, that eternity will set everything right. But we need to give each other permission to ache sometimes in the meantime. A helpful verse about this for me is, is 1 Thessalonians 4. You know, the question is sort of like, what is what is biblical or what is kind of gospel-soaked grief? Like, what does it look like to grieve well as Christians? And I think part of it is just like, we, we need permission to grieve ugly, you know? Um, it's a messy and sad time, and we don't need to have it all together. First Thessalonians 4 tells us that we are to grieve as those with hope. I think that's the key. So you want to, want to, want to know how to walk through godly grief yourself or, or how to support those in the church who are grieving? Um, the first thing that we are to grieve as those with hope means is that we are to grieve. We grieve. It's not super spiritual of us to try and be stoic when loved ones die or force ourselves to only look on the bright side. We feel pain. It's the human experience. We feel loss. And it's not helpful at all to try and get those grieving to cheer up, right? Death is not natural. Death is not right. Death is a result of sin. Death is a great evil. And we should grieve profoundly and fully when it confronts us. Jesus approached the tomb of his friend Lazarus and weeps with the weeping. But the second thing Paul is saying is that we shouldn't grieve without hope. There is a point in our grief that grief without hope leads to bitterness. We grieve, not with grief leading to bitterness though, but grief salted with hope. What Paul is telling us is that the gospel equips us to be hopeful grievers. What does it look like? hopeful grievers. We grieve, but not as those without hope. Simply put, ah, sit quietly, share in their grief, indicate you're there. It's helpful sometimes to seek to intuitively just do some of the things for the person you're pretty sure they'd appreciate. Um, Just go about doing those things, bringing a meal, doing some laundry, cleaning something, Uh, helping out with errands, right? Instead of, hey, if there's anything I can do, just let me know. That grieving person will rarely be like, hey, could you do this specific thing for me? They're just usually like, okay, thank you. Um, And of course, stay away from from trite, insensitive comments. It's hard. It's just hard. And uh, we're not great at grieving in our society. We don't do grief well. Um, I think we kind of just need to slow down, get quiet, be present and uh, let the Holy Spirit prompt us to be uh, to be real, real good at care. Um, next question: How should I approach conversing and living with family and friends from different religions or atheism? It's a great question. Um, again, I kind of <laughs> these are these are general, and so personalities and circumstances and belief systems vary so much. Um, so I'm just going to try and give you some general principles that that hopefully are helpful here. Um, the first thing I would say is be inquisitive. Uh, be inquisitive for a couple reasons. One, if if you hope to share your faith beliefs with them, it's courteous and appropriate to let them share theirs. And so be inquisitive. Ask them questions. Uh, also, hearing their worldview, hearing their beliefs, where they're coming from, will also inf- help inform you 
of how you can effectively engage with them. Um, and so asking, be inquisitive, ask good questions. Um, if they ever ask you a question, that's a big deal. And so so treat it with care and, and stay on topic with the question, um, right? People's faith questions are usually the roadblocks they have in front of them to Christianity or to Jesus. And so when they pose that in a question, well, I don't know if I can believe in a God uh, who isn't just, like, I don't think he's just. I don't think this story makes sense in the Bible or this or that. I don't, I like the Christian sexual ethic. I, I, I have a problem with that. Well, we don't need to necessarily answer some other questions. I think that's the question plaguing them. And if they ask a good question like that, it's a huge deal. Treat it with respect and recognize that it's probably one of the barriers between them and trusting in Jesus. Um, another thing I would say is learn more about world religions and and atheism. Um, atheism, of course, is a belief structure of its own. Uh, it's the belief that there is no God. Um, the lion's share of um, people on the planet today believe there's a God or gods, and throughout history, even more so. Atheism is a relatively new and relatively small thing. And so um, the burden of proof actually lies with the atheist to prove to um, history and the majority of people on the planet that like there is no God. Where do you get that idea? Right. And so um, obviously courteously and stuff, but we have to recognize everybody has a belief structure, everybody. And so here's the thing. Many Christians know lots about Christianity and nothing about other religions. And that's just going to severely limit your ability to effectively witness to them, right? You're going to approach engaging a Muslim in a conversation about Christianity very differently than you would engage an atheist. You actually share a lot of common ground with a Muslim, but also some extremely diverging convictions in particular areas. And so those are all going to land differently. So learning more about world religions will be helpful. Last thing I would say is focus on Jesus, right? Christianity is about Christ. And so um, it's, it's helpful to, to laser our focus in. And also, I, I try and make this a point of my ministry. I hope people can notice it's a point of my ministry. That's my prayer so often is uh, a goal to show the beauty of Christianity, so often Christians are known for what they're against, what they oppose. Well, what are you for? And so my, my encouragement is focus on Jesus and show people how it's beautiful. Lead them um, to say, I wish that were true. That's such a stunning picture you're painting. I believe that Christianity does that. That should be a great goal as we talk with others from different beliefs. Show them how Christianity is uniquely beautiful. All right, one last question. I, I'm sorry I can't get to all the questions, um, but I'm trying my best here. So uh, we'll do this again sometime. But here's the last question I'm taking. It says this, if God is only God, while being Trinitarian, three in one, then when the Father rejected Jesus, did God exist? Um, first thing I've got to say is this is such a Bible school student question. <laughs> this is the kind of question that like Bible school students like fight in their dorm room till 2 a.m. about. Um, and I would like to thank the Bible school student who asked this question. <laughs> and uh, the question assumes that there was a literal rejection or severing of the son from the father. And, and the first thing I'll say is I don't actually believe that was the case. I don't think there's biblical evidence to support the idea that the Trinity was ever broken. So let me share a few of the phrases of Jesus from the cross that, that should help clarify things here. 
On the cross, Jesus calls on the Father to extend forgiveness to those who crucified him, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. On the cross, Jesus is communing with the Father. Then Jesus tells a criminal hanging on a cross next to Jesus that he will be with him when he comes into his kingdom, saying, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, that doesn't sound like God forsakenness. He's communing with God from the cross, and he's saying the day of his death, he will be in his kingdom in the presence of the Father. Jesus famously quoted Psalm 22 from the cross, and this is where we get a lot of the idea from that there was this severing of the Trinity. When Jesus says from the cross, he's quoting Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And and we need to look at Psalm 22 to realize everything that's going on there. It's the cry of an anguished psalmist who felt abandoned by God, but goes on throughout the psalm. He feels abandoned, but goes on on throughout the psalm to acknowledge God's presence, and the psalm ends on a note of triumph, saying, O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. In John 19.30, Jesus cries out that all has been accomplished with these words. It is finished. That's a statement of triumph. In Luke 23, 48, we read that Jesus said from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's not an indication of broken union. In John 16, Jesus speaks of his impending death and that even though he'll be abandoned by others, he said that in verse 32 of John 16, Behold, an hour's coming when he has already and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. He's saying that at, at his crucifixion, he'll be abandoned by his followers, but not by his Father. Um, theologian Paul Copen adds this argument, uh, dividing God into parts is not possible metaphysically. Talk about a deep thought. <laughs> Just try and think about that. By his very nature, God is necessarily triune. So the deep, unbreakable interrelationships between the persons of the Trinity have mutually indwell one another from eternity, and they are necessarily bound up with each other. The persons of the Trinity are not detachable parts of God. And so um, it's important for us to to get this straight in our our minds. It's, It's important to realize that God is one, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And um, the saving plan of the Trinity before the incarnation was was mutually agreed upon by all persons of the Trinity, right? So, so the wrath of God isn't opposed to the love of Jesus, for example. That's a false dichotomy. John 3.16 reveals the love of the Father, and Revelation 6.16 reveals the wrath of the Son. Okay, let me, let me, let me put this all together. Okay, I could go on and on. <laughs> I could nerd out on this. So thank you for the question. Um, let me tie this all together. Um, two things. First, Jesus could not be the unblemished or perfect sacrifice if he did become stained by sin. And so where the argument I think goes wrong is, well, God cannot sin. So if Jesus became sin for us, then God the Father must have had to turn his back, reject the Son. But here's the thing. It's precisely because Jesus is the spotless Lamb of God that he could be the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is a sinless but sympathetic high priest. It's not that he literally became sin but that the one who knew no sin became a sin offering on our behalf to reconcile us to God. So that's the first thing I want to say. Here's the second. Yet, we can still speak of a kind of abandonment 
I think there's a figurative thing going on there without speaking of a broken trinity, right? Jesus identified with humans in their feeling abandoned, alienated, scorned, humiliated, um, shamed, even experiencing death. Um, that's lonely. There's a sense of abandonment to that, but this was a voluntary self-identification with sinners as our faithful high priest. So the father allows his son to die rather than shielding him from it. But we also need to remember at the same time in Jesus' own words that Jesus lay down his own life of his own accord. And so, so there's no break in the Trinity, no rift in the Trinity. And yet it's accurate to say that Jesus became sin for us and experienced the rejection of a father, of the father or a silence, or even a sense that the father turned his face away as the modern hymn goes, but, but only by mutual agreement and participation as the unified Trinity. That was a deep question. I think it bored a few of our listeners or most of them to death. Um, but that was deep. Thank you for the questions. Thank you for all those questions. Uh, to all the listeners, thank you for taking this journey with me in this season. And if you didn't come alongside, there'd be no reason to make this podcast. So thank you for listening. As always, you can help us get the word out by leaving an honest five-star review on Apple Podcasts, uh, by commenting on Apple Podcasts about how truly deep and faith-enriching it is in your life. That's helpful. It, it flags the, the podcast more. That tra- gives it traction. Uh, posting about it on social media or posting episodes and then sharing episodes with people in your life uh, who would enjoy and be helped by them. Uh, thank you for listening to 50 episodes or like eight of them, Emily, or whatever it was. Thank you for listening to deep thoughts. I hope it helps you in fostering deep faith. Okay. Are you done texting with your friends? Yeah. Okay. Okay, we have to restart because we have to commit to not rolling our eyes and not you not bossing me around. Okay. We'll try our best. Those are our roles. Okay. Uh, and don't... Yeah, okay, whatever. Just start. It sounds like you're bossing someone How around. long is this going to be?